Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So I must admit that I was very surprised when I received an email from Spotify where I was asked to record a live podcast when they arranged their end of the year party for their employees in Sweden. I'm not a big player, but Spotify sure is. All their staff got to choose between different interests to match them to different dinner venues, and the ones that showed an extra interest in winter skiing in mountains ended up at a after-ski-themed dinner party, where I did a short live podcast to entertain them between courses. My guest for the interview was a friend of mine, mountain guide Carl Lundberg. Carl is interesting in many ways. First of all because he works as a mountain guide, of course, but also because he combined mountain guide training with a PhD in robotics. But the main reason why I wanted to talk to him is that he started his company, Ski Touring Scandinavia, three years ago, where he now offers first-class ski touring adventures with minimal carbon emissions, choosing trains over airplanes. Since Spotify is the very definition of a global international company, the interview had to be in English. My name is Magnus Ormestad, and this is episode 32 of the international series of the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is made possible thanks to Naturkompaniet. Huge thanks to Spotify for their amazing platform and for the trust. If you want to know more about this episode and the previous ones, head over to huskypodcast.com. You can follow Husky on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. So Magnus, just to give you a little information, he interviews those who live their lives on their way up or down snowy mountains or along winding trails with no end. And he has a very exciting guest here today with him. So I'm so excited to give him a warm round of applause for Husky. Thank you, Spotify. And Carl, don't, don't feel any pressure. A very interesting guest. 
<laughs> um, first of all, thank you, Spotify, for providing a my you know not a day goes by that I don't use Spotify. So good work, keep it up. Um, and I also like that you're the largest podcast platform in Sweden. I think good work. And also, thank you because everyone who is here are. Uh, hopefully, uh, at least semi-interested in skiing. So that makes me like you even more. So, hope you're having a good evening. Um, and with me here is Carl Lundberg, mountain guide Carl Lundberg. Welcome, Carl. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> tell us, to get to get into character, sort of, and to kind of frame you... Um, Tell us, a, tell us a, what you have been doing for this week. Yes, I just came back today, literally dropped my bags and came here from an ice climbing week up in the north of Sweden. So I've been climbing frozen waterfalls. Teaching it to uh, future, not mountain guides, but... Uh, I would say outdoor leader academy, so future outdoor leaders. And uh, we had an uh, ice climbing course for them. So that is... Um Kind of a typical example of what you do, life as a mountain guide, teaching other people to climb. Yeah, I think uh, in mountain guiding there's always a training or education element. So everybody who does this wants to improve and it's always part of our profession. Um, and about your profession, for, for someone who don't know what a mountain guide is, me, like, because I'm kind of in the industry, so for me a mountain guide is more or less a, a walking god, more or less. <laughs> um, but but for people who, who 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 don't know what a mountain guide is, wh wh how would you describe your title? How would you describe your job? So I think um, the title or the work of a mountain guide it's uh, best defined in the Alps. So in the Alps, uh, they started to take local people as guides uh, in climbing expeditions, and that evolved into a very defined uh, job. And uh, that title then spread. So Sweden is part of the International Mountain Guide Federation, and we train, and we have the same, same uh, title as them. So I can go down and work in the Alps or in other countries which has uh, regulated this profession. And uh, it includes then both skiing and climbing. So you have to do the year-round season. Yeah, all year round, exactly. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the Alps, I think the, the, the title mountain guide is more or less... It's it's on par with uh, police, doctor, fireman, or something. It's very when it comes to status, for instance, and in some cases, it's even like it's more or less inherited. Like uh, my father was was a mountain guide, so I walk in his footsteps. Yeah, as I mentioned, they have been working with this for a long time, so it's really established and uh, recognized. And it's also it's not only the mountain guides; it's also, for example, the ski teachers, and it's very controlled. The ski teachers do this. And the mountain guides do this, and the climbing instructors do that, and we try to respect each other. So I think it's a well-working community. And there is this legendary old French mountain guide with a cigarette in his mouth. And uh, that's a fact. You can work as a mountain guide, a life there. It's an uh, actual profession. And in some other countries, like in Scandinavia, where maybe guiding, outdoor guiding is something you do when you're young, and then you get a real job. But uh, it's not the case there, so... Um, and, and, and if I would, as a, as a client of yours, if I would to uh, summit 
a mountain almost no matter where it is in the world you can you can assist me to the summit hopefully yeah i think um, as many other professions we specialize so like a doctor you would uh, like to go to a heart expert if you have a cardiac condition and so on so we specialize in different things and uh, pretty soon you realize you want to do stuff that is according to your specialization so you don't want to be out trying things you don't manage well so if you want to do high altitude climbing you find somebody who's specialized in that if you want to do ski touring maybe you can come to me but but then again you're a freelancer so uh you're like a you're like a don't get me wrong you're like a carpenter or a plumber and they're not known for turning down jobs <laughs> so d do you often turn down jobs because you you wouldn't feel comfortable with the client or the the destination yeah i think it's pretty common and um the way to gracefully handle it is to advise them to go go to my friend here oh. and uh, he will help you so for example if you want to climb matterhorn i would say go to swiss guide and uh, here's the name i would recommend um doing research on you i i came to the conclusion that and we will touch upon this later but but you've been kind of born again two times and uh, the first time you were born again was when you when mountain guiding saved saved your life from being an engineer um because you at some point you decided that engineer was the way to go so how how would you briefly um describe your life from birth <laughs> to uh, a place where you were uh, an engineer dreaming of becoming a mountain guide yeah so um when i was growing up and uh not in stockholm no, I grew up in uh, West Berlin, actually, uh, behind the wall at that time. And uh, we had snow every once in a while, and it was black, and you had to shovel the black snow away to eat the white one under. And it was full of syringes. and uh Yes. <laughs> uh, but then we moved back to Sweden, and I started to be able to have more proper relation to nature, and uh, I really was fascinated, fascinated by mountains. But uh, it was ne it never presented to me as a you could have it as a profession. Uh, so I started off studying and I ended up selecting engineering and I was at uh, KTH here and doing a PhD actually. And uh, I really had this feeling this is not for me. So I started the mountain guide training and I, I um, actually finished both. Uh, PhD in robotics. Yeah, I did it at the same time and I wouldn't recommend that. It's, it shortened my life for with 10 years <laughs> but uh, then I, I went into the mountaineering career so I didn't pursue the other part and this you, you told me that just you told me this just before the interview that the first time you went skiing you were 18 yes <laughs> do you yeah. dare to tell that to your clients uh, <laughs> I'm a late bloomer <laughs> <laughs> But if you think about it like this, you, I have clients and I had this discussion and they, uh, so I asked them, oh, so you've been skiing for a long time? Yeah, I've been skiing since I was six. Okay, so uh, you went with your family one or two weeks a year? Yes. And if you add those skiing days together, actually I surpassed that in a season. So it's possible to catch up. It's possible. So don't give up on your dreams if you want to leave Spotify one day. Um... Describe 
because at the point, like at the year that you were in Kotehå uh, uh, as an engineer and PhD, um, but uh, uh, like behind one door in front of you, you had your future as an engineer, and like behind the other door was your future as a mountain guide. What did you see behind those respective doors? Um, I think I didn't really have a clear picture of the work as a, as a mountain guide. And uh, I think nobody has when they start. You don't really know what in, it uh, entails. But uh, what was clear to me with the engineering part, that, it, that was that it was too much indoors. And I really had the urge to be more outdoors. So that was the selection, sort of. But you didn't have a specific company or position in mind? As an engineer, I mean. Oh, I was uh, at that time um, signed up for the military, so they had a great plan for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure with the robotics and all. So instead of making killer drones, you ended up uh, guiding people in uh, snowy mountains. Yeah, that actually was the case. Yeah, uh, because good choice. At, at that time, I was in uh, robotics for the military, and they started to discuss uh, weaponizing the the robots. So that actually was the case. Yeah. Uh, I think we all thank you. <laughs> um, but life as a mountain guide, um, how was that to, like, the first year as a mountain guide? Uh, the, um, a big uh, realization is that uh, it's not only, it's not like you go on a vacation and, uh, or pursue your own needs. You need to realize and... Uh, So you need to become a teacher of some sorts and really enjoy people evolving. So that's the thing. You're not doing it for yourself. It can be fun for you too, but you really need to, to, to get the joy out of seeing people having these experiences. So I think that's the big finding for me, to, to really have this teacher role or the coaching role. And also the safety, of course. But uh, it's not primarily about me. It's... it's finding the joy through somebody else but it, it's got to be very difficult to uh, to have the responsibility over say three four five or six people that you barely know and and and, and they they trust you literally with their life um, it's kind of a kind of a tall order when it comes to responsibility was yeah. that was that a big thing it is a really big thing for all guides I think And you're really aware of it. And there's a bit of a competition here because you want to deliver. You want to deliver this summits or you want to deliver this untracked snow. But at the same time, nothing can happen. So you have to wage those against each other. And it's really a fine balance. And for me, it, and in, in the beginning, I was really ambitious and I wanted to deliver these top-notch experiences. And for me, it was a big thing to realize, hey, you need to be okay with being a bad guide in the sense that you don't give the summits, you don't get the untracked snow, but you don't give an accident either. So that really was a definition for me. I need to accept to say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I can't give you this. But it's, it's This slope is untouched for a reason, and uh, we don't want to touch that. Yes, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um Working as a mountain guide involves, uh, like the standard thing is, it's a lot of heli skiing. It's a lot of airplanes around the world, going to South America, going to Japan, you mentioned, and so on. Um, that is not 
that is not what, what Greta Thunberg approves of. Um, and so here we, we will come to your... You, you were born again, again. Uh, because you started to, uh, to uh, get a bad taste from your line of work. What happened? Yeah, so I was uh, working uh, on these glaciers and I was going back to the same glaciers over and over and I could tell my clients, look here, now I remember when it was up there and now it's down here and next time we come it will be down here. So I can actually see the changes in nature and I was telling people about that and then it struck me, well, actually it's because of me, I'm part of it. I'm sort of destroying the thing I'm selling at the same time. So I decided to try to change the way I did my travels. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And, and some three years ago or something, you founded a business called Ski Touring Scandinavia. Uh, what is the... Uh, How do you describe that company and that idea? Yeah, so I decided I want to work as local as possible. So I only work with Scandinavia and I only work with ski touring, not heli skiing, for example. And uh, I do all uh, the long haul transports by train. And then we use local transport at the end. Um, what is from the, uh, from the perspective of the guest and the skier? Um, kind of a difficult question, I, I know, but... What is the difference? How would you describe the difference between uh, ski touring, skiing trips this way, climate neutral, uh, compared to the standard way where you d I just board a flight and go to Japan? I gave him that a lot of thought, actually. And I think uh, the biggest difference 
is that you don't have to have a bad conscience. Uh, we really get good skiing out of the mountains we have here, especially when it comes to ski touring. And uh, yeah, we just don't spend as much carbon doing it. Um, we we met at an event a couple of weeks ago and we started discussing because you, you, you told me, and I haven't really thought of it that way, but you... Uh, uh, you said that uh, working like this, going to places uh, here in Scandinavia, which is compared to, for instance, the Alps, it's crowd crowds. It's not a it's not a big problem for many of the destinations destinations where you are going. And you told me that that's actually when it comes to this the safety aspect of it. That's sa a, a lot safer for you to guide in an area like that. Um, and I haven't really thought about it that way before, because of course avalanche, the risk of avalanches is a big thing wintertime. Um, could you describe a bit why is it safer to guide in Sodic than in Chamonix? Yeah, so if you come to a mountain as a guide or as a regular skier and you want to pick an off-piste line, you go for the best line, of course, the safest with the best snow. And then the second guy or girl who comes goes for the second best next to it and so it keeps going and the entire mountain gets tracked up but for each new line you're moving away from the best line which was the safest so you're sort of pushed further and further away from the safest option and in the end we're in a situation like in the Alps where if I go there and work it's really pushy you go and do these really complex runs it's not the best safest line anymore it's what's left over so with more competition, you get pushed into unsafer conditions. And that's why it's so sweet to work in more isolated areas. We just do the one best line, and that's it. Um, you have, from your catalog now, the Ski Touring Scandinavia catalog, you have at least two destinations that are ranks very high on my bucket list. One is a ski touring trip to Sarek in Sweden. And another one is uh, called Vatnahalsen in Norway. Uh, tell us about tell tell us a bit about Vatnahalsen. It's got a fascinating story, I think. Yeah, Vatnahalsen has uh, become a favorite of mine. So one of the oldest railroads in Sweden go or in Scandinavia goes from Oslo to Bergen, and it was this steam railroad they built in the beginning of the 1900s. And uh, to keep a railroad alive at that time, you needed a lot of people. So there were these villages along the train uh, track. And uh, each village had a small school and maybe 200 people who lived there. And some of them never got a road. And Vatnahalsen is uh, one of those. So uh, it has no road access. So in winter, you can only go there by train. And there's a hotel there. And it used to be a ski resort. It was uh, framed as uh, the Sankt Moritz of Norway in the 1930s when skiing was not so pushy. But then uh, skiing uh, was sort of forgotten. So uh, the village was still there. There was a hotel, nothing going on in winter really. But then a couple of years ago, a Norwegian guy figured out. Oh, kind of an eccentric. Yeah, Petter. I've heard. He, he went there and, mm, could we ski here? And he picked up the ski touring. And they had never seen a ski tour in Vatnahalsen before he came there. And now he is managed, he's running the hotel. And I've been helping him getting the business going. So I've been going there for three years now. And it's just a perfect destination. You go there with a the train. You check in at the hotel. The people who are living there 
that's the people that are there. And that's your just, competition, sort of. Yeah. And it's not competition. It's really a friendly atmosphere, and you just have the, the place there. Because there is no lift operation. No lift, no. no. It's all earn your turns. Yes. Uh, tell us about about this. Tell us a bit about the scenery and the mountains and the aspects and the uh, elevation and what kind yeah. of what kind of skiing goes on there. So, I focus on uh, ski touring, and I want to find places where you can do as many days as possible from one bed. And actually, Vatnahalsen for Scandinavia is kind of unique. There are many good ski ski touring destinations, but often you do like maybe one or two days from the hotel, and then you start to using cars or other transports. But uh, what's unique here is that it's quite dense, and you have all the aspects so north, south, east, west. So I done a week in Vatnahalsen from one single door without uh, repeating any runs. So it's really a uh, high-density ski touring area. And it's no long approaches? It's The mountains are fairly close to the hotel? or Yeah. Mm. And it's, uh, to be Scandinavia, actually pretty complex terrain, so a bit like the Alps. So many places in Scandinavia you can go to the summit and you can ski and uh, any direction and you end up by the road. <laughs> and there's not much route finding to do. But here it's actually more like in the Alps with cliffs and niches and couloirs. So it's a bit complex, at least if it's a whiteout condition. Um, so what type of skier should consider a trip to Vattenhausen? What At what level do you want your guests to Yeah, so there's no lift. So if you're confident in skiing off-piste, I think it's a good place to go. Uh, the ski touring part, the walking up, it's something I can teach a client during the day. But I can't teach somebody to ski in a day. It uh, requires hours and hours of training. You need to build reflexes. But the ski touring part we can easily teach in a day. So it's for experienced off-piste skiers. Could you give us the sales pitch for your, uh, your, your, your ski touring adventure to uh, Sodic? Yeah, so you were mentioning uh, Mount Everest before. This would not be Mount Everest, but it would be something in that direction. Sodek is a huge national park in the mountains of Sweden. It has the best skiing in Sweden, uh, but it's far in and uh, there is uh, no infrastructure. So you need to be on a sort of a ski expedition to go there. So you need to bring your equipment and your tent and you need to set aside, I would say, at least two weeks. But then it's a proper ski expedition, like uh, comparable to Svalbard or Greenland. But it's here, next to us. And you can take uh, the train there. Yes. Yeah. So it's a fantastic experience, and uh, you will possibly encounter a few other people there, but it would be an adventure on your own, primarily. Uh, so describe the, uh, the mountains um, for someone who hasn't been there yet. And this is, of course, the springtime. April? I would say April is the best month to go. And, uh, well, uh, I said it before, it's the best ski region in Sweden. So we have uh, on Akka, on the gate to the national park, we have the longest ski run you can do in Sweden, 1,500 meters. And then it's basically lined up mountains like that, one next to another, and virtually nobody skiing there. So you have it all to yourself, and you could spend a lifetime there exploring it. Is it allowed? Um, can heliski operators go into Sodic? No. You can only bring helicopters in for rescue or some infrastructure or reindeer keeping. Um, but this 
this trip, I guess, it, it is not for everyone. Uh, I would say it would, uh, you would uh, need to be comfortable with camping out. So having the winter camping experience uh, and uh, ski touring skills. And you need to be kind of physically able to haul a, a, a sled. <laughs> yes, yeah, we bring sleds and uh, you pull your own equipment. And uh, it's basically fairly comfortable then because you have your camp with you. Um, since you started ski touring Scandinavia, and, and that is like three years ago or something? Um, because things are, especially in the, maybe not in politics, unfortunately, but in the public debate at least, a lot of things happen quite fast when it comes to being aware of climate changes and so on. Have you noticed any changes in, like, from our kind of narrow outdoor perspective in the way people uh, consider this and the way the brands, for instance, how they handle this fact? Uh, yes, I have. I think uh, the premier, one premier area of uh, change towards sustainability has been the clothing industry. So the outdoor clothing companies are really ahead and they're pushing this forward. And then I think in the travel industry, uh, it's starting to happening now with some train-based travel, but we're not at the frontier. Uh, what gives you hope when it comes to the big, the big picture? I would say two things. Uh, one would be working with younger people because there's really a, a desire to live sustainable with the young people. And another thing would be looking back in history and see that we actually did really big changes like, let's say, the French Revolution, where we just, in one instance, changed an entire society. So I would say those two things. Um. Thank you, Carl, for uh, sharing your, your visions and your engagement. And I, and I hi highly recommend you, f like you who listen, to, to check out his um, company and uh, see what he offers. Uh, th thank you for listening. Enjoy your evening. And thank you, Carl. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet. The music is made by Joel Möller.